DJ and PK is brought to you by WCF Insurance, reminding you to be careful out there. We just did What Were You Watching Last Night, and as PK noted, it was a it was a little thin. There wasn't much going on. I know when I was channel surfing PK, I looked, checked the NFL Network, and I saw a Cardinals and Niners regular season game being replayed and thought, how do you sit through that three and out in the middle of the second quarter and rewatch this? What? Who is watching this? You have the true diehard. And there were multiple old games being replayed on multiple channels, and uh, and they were all dragging a little bit, which is why I think what Major League Baseball, uh, the MLB network, is doing today, this is good. And it, I think baseball just lends it to itself a little more than, than the NBA or the NFL, but they could do it in their own way. Today... Uh, Major League Baseball, the MLB Network, is running 42 legendary half innings. So they've got one for every team, and then they've got two for some teams. You know, basically L.A., New York, the Cardinals, the Glamour franchises get two half innings. And so you see these uh, legendary things, but you don't have to sit through, you know, the fourth inning when there was, uh, you know, some guy took three minutes to strike out. Another guy worked him for a walk. And then there was another long at bat and a fly to left. And then finally there was a hit. And then they got out of the inning. There, nothing really happened over 15 or 20 minutes. They just go right to the half innings. If you were going to pick one half inning from Baltimore Orioles history to show, what would you show? Well, you got the competition, the Orioles, way back when with mm-hmm. – the Robinsons. And yeah, they were really good, Powell right? Powell and, yeah. and Earl Weaver was a worth the t- uh, price of admission to himself. <laughs> you know, a half inning where Earl comes out twice and yells at the refs. Oh, yeah, yeah. But they, they went with um, the half inning when Cal Ripken Cal Jr. Ripken. passes Lou Gehrig. Yeah, yeah I was going to get to that. You had competition mm-hmm. versus that historic moment. And I was working for the watchdog that day. And uh, had the it was a, it was a Sunday. No, 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 not not when he set the record because that was a foregone conclusion. To me, it was bigger when they decided to sit him because nobody really knew for sure. You knew he was going to pass that that he was going to break that uh, mark, which is awesome, no doubt about it. Uh, once the game became official, but it was. A fate, what's that? A fate complete, whatever. That right. Was. Yeah. I mean, you knew it was going to happen, but it was a Sunday night when they sat him, and people didn't realize it at first. I think it was a Sunday night uh, ESPN game, and it was a uh, word starts getting out, and in those days, and a computer, you'd get bulletins on the computer that uh, at work. That's uh, they'd like give you an advisory that something was in the process of happening. You know, anytime a pitcher had a no hitter after six, they would give you on, a, on the work computers. You'd get an advisory, uh, uh, something like that, so you were aware of it. So the buzz in the crowd, hey, Ripian isn't going to play, and then it when it became obvious that he wasn't going to play somewhere in third or fourth inning or whatever, people gave him a standing ovation for not playing. Hmm. That might have been the only time that's ever happened, and that that was sort of cool. So I get the the playing streak, and they had the uh, banners out there in right field in the warehouse, and you know they would unveil the numbers that equaled I don't even know what it was twelve hundred. What 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 what's the number that uh, he needed to break for Lou Gehrig? I'm I'm not sure. Twenty one thirty one, I think. Is that what it was? I yeah. think so. Because okay. they had the number on the um on the on the wall of the warehouse out there in right field. And I'm trying to visualize. What I just said, but yeah, I'm trying to visualize, and I just think it was. I think it was 2131. Oh, I'm trying to see it in my mind. Uh, the Rangers moment is Nolan Ryan finishing off his record seventh no hitter. That's a classic. The Braves get two moments. Hank Aaron hits uh, home run number 715, and then the 92 NLCS. Game 7 with Francisco Cabrera driving in Sid Bream and Bream sliding across the plate and the Braves going nuts. The, yeah, okay. the Red Sox are featured prominently for both good and bad because they're in the Mets moment when Mookie's little roller caps the Mets' wild comeback in the bottom of the 10th inning, 1986 World Series. So they got 42 of these moments spread across uh, all these teams. 
Uh, your Arizona guy, probably got some Arizona people listening. This will shock you. Luis Gonzalez's flair wins an all-time fall classic, bottom of the ninth inning, Game 7, 2001 World Series with the Yankees. Oh, that's got to be the highlight of their franchise. Uh, Randy right. Johnson, I think, at 40 through a perfect game. Uh, so They're just they, going they, with the one. they had some highlights. Yeah, they're just going one with Louise. Oh. The Dodgers. Well, yeah. the Dod- oh, that's number one. The Dodgers get two. You get to see Sandy Koufax going the distance versus the Twins. Game seven, bottom nine, 1965 World Series. And then, obviously, Gibson's homer. So, so anyways, those moments are out well, that's there. The, and it repeats. They all are going to air beauty. twice. The beauty of baseball in the regular season is you don't have to sit there and be glued to the television. Now, postseason is probably a little bit different if you're into it, and that's your team. Uh, so you're going to watch uh, any postseason has far more intensity than the regular season. But I think that's the beauty of baseball is that you don't have to sit there and watch it start to finish. It can be sort of background music, and you can check in on it. Uh, for, for me, it was... Dodger baseball when I moved to Arizona and it wasn't on television but it was on the radio and so you could have it on and you could have it on when you're doing homework or doing yard work or just sitting outside in the backyard whatever it might be and you could listen to it but you don't really have to pay big time attention to it but you can dip in and out and catch it so these half inning spiels, you know, they're highlighting that, and that's great. So, but that's basically what you can do in a regular season game, anyway. You you have it on, whether it's via television, radio. Now you have other forms of uh, ways to watch or listen through your phone and whatnot, and you don't have to be glued to it every single pitch to find out and to know what's going on. I worked for a guy who was a big football fan when I worked uh, in Mesa. And but he didn't like baseball. He hated baseball, but he loved his football. And he used to say he hated baseball and golf. And he used to say that baseball was three minutes of action crammed into three hours. A popular line, yes. <laughs> and I always said, well, that's the beauty of it. Either if you like it, you like it. If you don't, you don't. I never, I never felt the need to try to convince people. Or persuade them. There's one or the other that's grammatically correct, and the other one isn't grammatically correct. I always forget which one. That I never felt the need to try to influence people to like what I like. Either you like it or you don't. And if you don't like it, I'm fine with it because I like it. And that's all I really care about. And I know there's some people out there, particularly your big sport in soccer, they like to try to influence you to, to like it. Well, you like it, great. If you don't. That's fine, too, because there's plenty of other people out there who like it. And that's the way I felt about baseball. If you like it, great. If you don't, all right, well, don't really need you. See you. Go on and do what you do. No big deal. And you don't have to sit there and study each pitch to be able to enjoy the, the basic premise of the game. Well, check it out if you want. Major League Baseball Network. They're going to run all 42, then they're going to repeat all 42. It's going to go on and on, so you have a couple chances. Uh, the, the thing I saw in the email didn't say which time each one was running, so I don't know if there's a schedule. Pick out your favorite one or just sit there and don't worry about your team showing up. Just enjoy the great moments in baseball history as they roll by. We're going to talk football here in a few minutes with uh, Tyson Alger, Oregon Ducks writer for The Athletic, Dave Southern, the uh, Boise State writer for The Athletic. And you've got the, uh, the Ducks poised to repeat. You ready for a dynasty there? Or you think uh, losing a recruiter we were talking about yesterday and uh, USC about to get the upper hand and get it together? Or that takes a while to show up and Oregon will just be fine for a couple of years here. Yeah, I mean, you're talking about one game where they would play each other in the conference final and in a one-game basis, as we saw with the Devils beating Oregon last year, you get to the point where, particularly in this conference, that anything is possible. And so that's the situation that you have now with the two divisions. Uh, Do you really have guaranteed the best team winning it that particular year? Well, it remains to be seen because in a football game, 
you get two or three turnovers, a tip pass. I look at the way the Utes lost to Washington two years ago on that touchdown where uh, the ball falls off the receiver's legs uh, and gets in, I think it was uh, Murphy, who caught the ball for uh, era Washington and then takes it up the sideline for the game's only touchdown. So when you're getting into that one-game situation, it's hard to say one program has supremacy over the other as opposed to when they didn't have the divisions and it was based on a number of games like it is to win the division it's based on a number of games and so you know you have a better uh sample so i don't know that i can say sc is better than oregon or it's going to be or oregon is going to be better than sc in terms of if they should play each other in that final and who wins that game but i do think oregon has put itself uh, how would you say, righted the ship. And I'm looking at stuff. You know, they got a new offensive coordinator. And so they got a pitcher. The guy, guy's name is Moorhead, right? And uh, to get better prepared for this interview, I'm looking at stuff. And so the guy, he held a press conference, I think, uh, uh, early part of February. So it's him sitting at a podium speaking, and then they've got a picture of him, and he's going over to uh, a group of fans that are sitting there at the press conference, and he leans over to shake someone's hand. And whose hand do you think it is that he's shaking? Yours. It's Phil Knight. The other PK. (laughs) The other PK. (laughs) The other PK. (laughs) Yeah. So, I mean, they just suck up to this dude. It, 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 they they got to feel somewhat dirty, and they just have to. You have to. It's a Catholic term. You have to genuflect to this guy at all <laughs> times. I mean, there's four other guys in the picture, but there he is, this new coordinator, Moorhead, going right tonight. You got to make sure he's okay because he funds the program. He owns. He basically owns the program, and they've gotten through the coaching changes. Crystal Ball seems to know what he's doing. Uh, they're recruiting nationally again because there's not a lot of kids in Oregon. And I was looking at their recruiting. They got a kid from Draper here, a lineman. I think his last name is Light. They got a running back uh, from, well, he split time between New York and California and ended up being ineligible his junior year. So he's going to go into his senior year. And uh, he didn't even play last year. But. He's supposed to be all that, and he's from, well, depending on, he's either from California or New York, two different uh, areas, but New York, they, you know, that's a long ways away from Eugene, but you know, I think that to answer your question, the point I'm making is that, yeah, I do think they are back to being in contention to what they were. Now, I'm not saying they'll be back to what they were, because they're, they're involved some cheating there, uh, and, but I do think they're back to being a contender. They were a contender last year. Obviously, they were a contender for the Pac-12. And then they were a contender for the playoff. And they lost a couple of ball games by one score, some three points to the Devils, uh, as we talked about yesterday. An NFL receiver got deep on them, a first-round NFL receiver, no less, and they lost by three points. Well, those things happen. I mean, there's really no shame in that, I don't think. They lost by three points to an NFL receiver, got deep, and what the heck. It happens from time to time. But they were a contender last year. Now, obviously, they've got to replace Herbert, but they're loaded in other areas. Their big uh, deficiencies and what they need to replace is Herbert, and they lost four out of five offensive linemen. But the one lineman that they returned, the kid from St. George, Sewell, is viewed as he's Outland Trophy winner, so he's literally viewed as the best offensive lineman in the country. And he met the hype because he had all sorts of hype coming out of high school, and he's met that, and I would assume that this would be his last year because he's a junior now and he would go into the NFL but they return a lot of skill guys so for the short term and probably you know the long term being what though DJ five years would you say can you really go beyond that five years is a long time you never know how much a coach is going to win with a college coach you always wonder are they going to get the itch and want to go to the NFL so if nothing else you have to worry about that now they may not go you know there have been rumors about David Shaw at Stanford forever 
uh, you know, and that could end their run if he takes off. Well, the truth is, back to that five-year thing, he had a great run. The last couple of years haven't been as good. And, it, you know, Stanford always knew, hey, this can't go on forever. It could end if Shaw goes to the NFL. Well, he hasn't gone to the NFL, but the run has ended nonetheless, and he's still there. Yeah, maybe yeah, he'll, maybe I, he'll get it back, not usually. I actually a, think that having it slip has re-energized him to get it back. So, in a sense, he's found a new life because last year they bottomed out. They had slipped, but they didn't bottom out. Last year they bottomed out. So now they've got to regroup. I do also think, too, with these college coaches here, depending on what you get, the, when you get the job, the money is so enormous that for some of them, we see them leaving when they should be in their prime. And, prime, and big-time programs. Now, the obvious examples would be Stoops at Oklahoma yep. and Peterson at Washington State. And if they were not getting this massive amount of money, I wonder, I don't know the answer to this, but I wonder, would they still continue coaching? But they can step away and know that they don't really have any financial worries because they're making far greater money. Maturis used to talk about that. I heard him talk. He talked to me about it a couple of times. He felt like, you know, in his day, People went into coaching for the love of coaching. And he thought that as the money became outrageous, people went into coaching for the love of money. And he had a little bit of a problem with that. Because when he went into it in the early 70s, nobody was making this outrageous amounts of money that they're making now. And even, you know, he's been dead for a number of years and hasn't coached for a number of years. But he was making significant amounts of money that he never anticipated making. But nevertheless, they did. So now these guys, you talk about, well, NFL, it could also be beyond NFL. They could simply have enough and still be financially set, as we saw with Chris Peterson. So, yeah, I do think five years is about as far as you can go. And it looks like for me, if I was going to pick one program in this conference set up to win the most in the next five years, it absolutely would be Oregon. All right, DJ and PK, spring football tour continues. We're going to Boise State next to Oregon at 9.30, right here on 97.5 and 1280 The Zone. And now, attention, top of the wire on 97.5, 1280 The Zone and The Zone Sports Network. Dennis Lindsay met with the media via the Zoom for about a half an hour yesterday. Said Rudy Gobert and Donovan Mitchell are ready to move on and get past their rumored riff. Lindsay on the same call said the franchise will be cautious in reopening the Zions Bank Basketball Center. My best guess is, he says, is it'll be after May 8th. That's the date that the NBA has set as to when teams can open facilities. NFL, 16-year NFL veteran Frank Gore, third leading rusher in NFL history, has signed a one-year deal to join the New York Jets and back up Le'Veon Bell. While planning to play a full regular season, the NFL has formulated a ticket refund plan for canceled games or those held without fans. In a memo sent to the 32 teams by Commissioner Roger Goodell and obtained by the AP on Tuesday, a uniform baseline for full refunds on any tickets purchased directly from the clubs has been prepared. Top of the Wire is brought to you by Zero Res. A clean home is a healthy home, and Zero Res is cleaning carpets right now for just $25 per room. The lowest prices to help out as many people as possible, $25 per room. Available while space is available. Call Zero Res today for details and restrictions at 801-288-9376. Now let's get this party started. This is Hans Olsen and Scotty G on the Zone Sports Network. You ever think you could have been a competitive eater? No. Take the structure out of it. I could eat a half gallon ice cream right now. Okay, how quick? In uh, 20 minutes. That's one segment, Lloyd. Are we ready to do this on the air? Now? The thing is, it's just not my thing anymore. You just threw it out there that you could eat a half gallon ice cream in 20 minutes. Yeah, well, you could jump on a donkey naked and ride it. But But it's not your thing anymore. Is it your thing? Do you want to do it? Okay, how many mozzarella sticks could you eat? In one sitting. In one sitting in 20 minutes. Probably 20. I've got a half gallon of ice cream in front of me, and Scotty's got 20 mozzarella sticks in front of him. Who finishes first? Do either one of us finish? And Lloyd's got a donkey. (laughs) Hanson Scotty. Weekdays from 10 to 2 on 97.5, 1280 The Zone in the Zone Sports Network. DJ and PK, it's 97.5 and 1280 The Zone. We're joined by Dave Southern, the Boise State writer for The Athletic. Dave, good morning. 
Good morning, guys. Hey, as, as I said, always always glad to be on with uh, David and Patrick, just like uh, me and my brothers. So uh, hope you guys are doing good. <laughs> We're doing well. And before we get to breaking down the Broncos, I'm curious first, uh, the attitude among the fans and also, uh, you know, more the team and the staff. And I know I'm asking two questions at once, so you can keep them straight here. I know you can do it, Dave. Uh, But we're always looking for rivalries. And my theory is that rivalries happen when somebody takes something away from somebody else. You wanted that. You wanted back. So it's tough for BYU because they're an independent, right? So you can't have the conference. You can't battle for the conference championship with somebody. Mm -hmm. But Boise State wants to go to one of the New Year's Six Bowls. And they were 12-1 and after they beat Hawaii to win the conference championship. And the one was the loss to BYU. How much did that juice up the rivalry? How fired up were people about that? And how much will that amp up the game the next time they meet it's gonna really amp it up and, and the funny thing is is that you know i i just we have a story um i, I on monday i published a, a fan survey and left it open-ended asking about who boise state's biggest rival is and i i have the feeling it's gonna be it's gonna be byu and i and i think that uh what really helps it is that it's been competitive. Um, you know, obviously Boise State had a decent run where games were still close, but they won them. But BYU won the last one. And the fact that, yes, if, if they hadn't lost that game, they would have been a New Year's Six Bowl. They would have, they, they definitely would have done it. And um, I think with, uh, with the way that, that game went, the fact that Boise State didn't have, you know, their best quarterback playing, they didn't have, um, you know, a, a very good showing down there. I think it's really going to fire people up. And I think that if you think about what they have at home this year, they have seven home games. They have Florida State coming in, Utah State comes in, and BYU. And I think that the fact that they've been by far the most competitive team with Boise State year in, year out, maybe with the exception of Air Force, uh, it, I, I think it, it's really it really gets people fired up. And I think this year – where the game lies, it lies in a similar place that it did last year on the schedule. So I think that they have a lot of good reasons to be looking forward to that game. And I, I think that last year really is going to keep it going. So as far as the team goes for next season, start from the administrative standpoint. They lose the quarterback coach coordinator, Zach Hill. I hope you're going to tell me he's awesome because I'm a Sun Devil grad and he's gone down to the desert at Arizona State. So he's gone now, and they were really good under him. I think he was there, what, for four years? Five years. And did an ex- yep. Okay, did a pretty good job, and which is why uh, Herm Edwards hired him, obviously. But tell us about this other guy that they have replacing and how much Harson is going to give him uh, the ability to run the offense. Yeah. Um, so, so uh, Zach did a really good job here, and it, it, it's such a that's a tough job in Boise, Idaho. Is if if you're not scoring, you know, 42 a game week in week out, some people might think something's wrong. And I, um, I, I think Zach did a fine job, and and I think he'll do well at Arizona State. He's a smart guy. But um, promoting Eric Kesaw was really a no brainer for them. I, I know they looked at other candidates, but. But Keesaw has been a really, really important part of the of the staff, and as good of an assistant coach they've had last couple of years, their wide receivers have been really, really good. That was Eric's job. Now he takes over as the OC quarterbacks coach, and he has experience doing that. He did it at Colorado. He did it at Washington. He's done it at Fresno State. He's done it before. When he's had those both responsibilities, his offenses has usually not been very good, but he's been in tough situations in those places. So I think that um, history isn't necessarily on his side, but his experience in Boise, he knows the offense. Um, he's a very smart guy. He's well-liked. Um, I, I think it won't be a change really at all. It's, the system's going to be the same. Um, he knows it. He knows the personnel. He's worked with the quarterbacks before, although not as closely. Um, and, I, and, I, and I think that they're not really going to miss a beat. And if you look at what they have coming back with you know, their best quarterback, a 1,000-yard rusher, you know, one of the best receivers in the conference in the West, and Khalil Shakir. I think he's going to be just just fine. 
You know, I think uh, just because of the nature of the quarterback position, people you know follow them and know them. But Boise State's had some good running backs over the years, and it's not just that they have Holani coming back, who's a thousand yard rusher you reference, and he did it averaging over five yards a carry. You know, if you do it under five, mm-hmm. that's just kind of a volume thing. But over five yards a carry, I think usually gets the attention. But to have a freshman, a sophomore, and a junior running back. And the, the three of them combined average 1,700. That is, I think the cliche is, that's a lot of mouths to feed. Uh, is it going to be those three in, that, in the same order? They pretty much, the pecking order pretty much established there? Or can there be some competition at that spot? There will be competition, but the pecking order, I think, I think really kind of shook itself out last year when um, Rob Mahone, you know, at the beginning of the year, he ran for 142 at Florida State, and we all thought, oh, there's the next 1,000-yard back. But he just kind of fell off a little bit. He got dinged up here and there. Um, you know, he's occasionally had fumble issues in the past. And George Helani was a big-time recruit for a good reason. And he, as you kind of alluded to, he didn't have a big volume because he didn't take over as a starter until midway through the year. He got a lot of work early on, granted, but midway through the year, it wasn't until he became the starter. But but this year, I really do think that it would be George Helani one. And you have Rob Mahone, who's, you know, 220 pounds, um, as the number two back and that number three um, that you mentioned, Andrew Van Buren. Van Buren's checking in about 230 right now. So those two power backs with, with Holani, who's a little more slippery, um, but still pretty versatile. Um, I, I think it's a pretty good combo. They're very happy with it because they have those three and only one other scholarship running back. They, did, they haven't added any others yet. Didn't add any in this last recruiting class. They seem pretty content with where they were. And I, I think it, it'll stick as it was at the end of the year. Bachmeyer, the quarterback, as a uh, what a freshman last year, I'd have to say mm-hmm. that he was overall pretty good. I mean, it was sensational against Florida State. Uh, made some freshman injury uh, mistakes, had some injuries too, but it looks like they've got something in him. Correct? Yeah, he he's if, if you look, he's um, you know, at least according twenty four seven the second highest recruit in terms of rankings they've ever signed. Um, he came in with so much hype and. He lived up to it for the most part. You know, he started right away as a true freshman. That had never happened here. Um, a true freshman starting on opening day for for Boise State. So he um, he he has a lot of people excited, and I think that as you kind of mentioned, they when he got hurt kind of midway through the year against Hawaii, he had been averaging almost 200 yards a game passing when he started, and then then he came back for one game against San Jose, wasn't great, got hurt in that game. And then, and then when he came back again against um, against Washington, wasn't wasn't at his best. So I think that you know, with if he hadn't gotten hurt, it would be really really interesting to see where he goes. And 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 he's been everything that they've kind of wanted. Um, the ceiling's really high. You look at the numbers, and they look good. But you got to consider that he, of course, didn't play all season; only played in eight games. So, um, so I think that the sky's the limit for that guy. He's definitely going to be. The starter. They bring back Chase Court, who started against BYU last year. Um, but but it, it's Hank's job, and and I think they're really excited about the future with him, especially if he can correct some of those you know true freshman mistakes he made last year, taking hits he shouldn't have, maybe throwing some passes deep into double coverage that were not smart. Those sort of things. If he can fix those, um, he's going to be the next really good one that they've had up here. So that leaves the receiving core. John Hightower is off to the Eagles, but Khalil Shakir is back, and he had over 800 yards receiving. C.T. Thomas is back, too. Who else can they add to that group, and is Shakir the, the ace? Yeah, yeah, Shakir, I think, I think is the guy that people, uh, maybe more so than Hank, people are excited about up here that just, um, the, you know, he has been so versatile for them, scoring, you know, six receiving touchdowns last year, three rushing, even threw one. Um, he, you know, he's he's a guy that played a lot of running back in high school. So so Boise State's used him on you know the jet sweeps and the and the wildcat stuff. And um, Khalil's going to be going to be the number one for them by far there. And and you mentioned CT um, Octavius Evans, who's a senior, had a pretty decent game last year against BYU. He had I think five catches, and he um, he's been a guy that they've had really high expectations for. But two years ago, he got hurt, got lost in the shuffle last year. I think this is the year that he's really going to be able to. You know, break out. You know, be that thirty to forty catch type guy, and um, and then right behind him, I, I, they have they have some talent. I you know, I think that one of the guys that would stand out to me is Stephen Cobbs, who's a sophomore. Um, he, his first career catch was a forty four yard touchdown against Portland State. 
and redshirt freshman Shea Whiting was the scout team player of the year. They have they have depth there, and, and again, it's credit to Eric Keysaw, and I think that Matt Miller, the new receivers coach, inherits a really good group. Curtis Weaver was a stud defensively as, what, a defensive end linebacker. I think he was uh, Mountain West Defensive Player of the Year, if I remember correctly. Mm-hmm. Yep. I know they got a kid, uh, Brock Miller, with transfer from NC State, I think. But how big of a loss is Weaver, and how are they going to be able to compensate for it? Weaver is a huge loss. You know, he was, you know, left as the, the you know, he only played three years, but left as the Mountain West all-time sack leader. He had 34, so um, that's going to be a big miss, but there, there is like I think a bit of a silver lining in that. Last year, toward the end of the year, he was he was dinged up a little bit, just wasn't as productive. Um, he had one sack in the last five games, but in those five games, Demetri Washington, who was his backup, he had four, and um, Washington is just kind of the next man up to that position. And all coaches have not shied away from putting really high expectations on him, so I think he's a guy that will definitely. You know, be in the mix to maybe have double-digit sacks, and there's other guys in that group. Casey Klein was a four-star signee last year who redshirted. Um, Sam Whitney's a six-year senior at that position, and Miller's coming in. He can play wherever as a linebacker. So they've got a lot. They've got a lot of options there. I think they feel okay about it because of that. But no matter how you shake it, you know, you're going to lose one of the best pass rushers in school history, and it's going to take a little bit of time to make up for it. Riley Wimpy at linebacker, uh, the leading tackler. So when your name is Wimpy, do you just as a as a kid in elementary school at recess, you got two ways to go: you either turn into a linebacker and a tough guy, or people just yeah. taunt you and you recede into the corner. Yeah, exactly. He he, he kind of told me that uh, that he, he tries not to embrace the last name and you know and, and, and live to it. But what, what, what kind of helped him too is his two older brothers uh, played at Utah State and they're old linemen. So he kind of had. He kind of had that too, knowing that like, well, if anybody made fun of him, he just had these giant brothers to go help him out. But uh, yeah, you know, Riley's been a really important part of the team, and um, yeah, leading tackler got actually tore his ACL against BYU uh, in 2018 up here, and he, uh, you know, he's he's a hard nosed guy, and I think that he fits in well at that weak side spot, which is kind of where Leighton Vanderesh used to play, and Brock Miller's going to factor in there. Zeke Noah, who's the middle linebacker, he used to play weak side. So, so you know, Riley has help if he needs it, but, you know, he, he, he had a really good year last year. I'm wondering about Marson. You know, he's got the Boise roots, but last year was, what, their fourth straight season with at least 10 wins? And we've seen his predecessors at some point when they've had success take off. What do you think is going to happen there? I, I think I think with him – he won't say which jobs, but I think there are only a select few jobs that maybe he would that he would leave for. Um, I think a big part of it is, yeah, he spent his entire life here. Other than early on, right after he graduated from college, he spent one year at Eastern Oregon, and he came back here, and you know, of course, went to Texas and Arkansas State for a bit. But he is he is a Boise guy. He's building a new house here. He is just born and bred, and, and, and I think as long, and he said this before, as long as the school is trying to do things like improve facilities and, or pay assistance as much as they can, he's going to stick around. And I, I think unless, you know, an Oregon comes around at him, that, that, that this is the place for him. I don't, you know, or USC or whatever. There's only a couple programs I think that he would go to, and, and, and you know, if Texas came. And so I think that, that he's going to, he's going to be around and, um, the other coaches, Chris Peterson stuck around longer than people thought. I think Brian Harson is going to be the same way just because I think he is happy here. And I think that he likes to win. He hates to lose. He doesn't want to go anywhere where you have to rebuild or anything like that. So I think that, you know, he's going to stick around here. And as much as it comes up every offseason that, oh, XYZ school is interested, he stays. And I think by people are getting used to that a little bit and maybe thinking he's going to continue to be here for the long haul. So maybe all the coaches are tied, or maybe just as a Boise guy, you just follow all the guys. But the fact is uh, Dan Hawkins going to Colorado and that all blowing up, kind of a cautionary tale. And he's at UC Davis now, which is his alma mater, so I guess mm-hmm. there's an appeal there. But it's kind of uh, – that's just kind of the cautionary tale, and they know how good they have it unless they really hit a home run. Yeah, and, and, and Chris Pearson himself would always say it. He would allude to it, that he would just say, hey – 
the grass isn't always greener, you know, that old saying. But when he used to say it multiple times because Dirk Cutter went to Arizona State. He did, he did well, but still didn't have a long tenure there. And I think that and I think that Harson saw that. Harson saw how selective Chris Peterson was. And I think that, that he, he's learned from the guys in front of him that, you know, you don't have to take any job because it's the power five. That, you know, you might be done in four years and looking for another job. And, and, and Boise's a good place to be. And they're, they're going to give you what you need. And I think that, that he sees that. And that's part of the reason he's been here since 2014 and doesn't show any signs of leaving anytime soon. So when you think of Boise State, you know, football, obviously you think of winning and offense, but you also think of them getting uh, maybe the kid who was overlooked and then he builds himself up. But, you know, they've sent so many guys, high picks too. You take a look at uh, Ezra Cleveland offensive line. I think he mm-hmm. went in the second round. Uh, so they're a significant factor now. It's not just uh, the under-recruited kid. They're getting player Bachmeyer highly recruited and all that stuff. So my point for you are they able to have they been able to really elevate their their recruiting to get players that they really think think is going to they're going to be not just contributors but be stars NFL guys rather than trying to find the diamond in the rough all the time? Yes, you're you're 100% right. I, I I do think that it's shifted a little bit away from the old the old mentality and you know the, 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 every class is going to have some of those guys but the, I I think in the in the last in the last two classes, they've only had, I want to say, about three or four guys who didn't have at least a Power 5 offer. And, you know, I, I remember back in the past when, when, when they would get some guys, they would get some guys that, that didn't have a Power 5 offer, that they were only beating Mountain West schools for. And that was not that long ago, and I think that th- their national profile has increased, and they have been able to go to Texas and get guys, and um, you know, they've been able to to expand their recruiting base a little bit to find guys that that fit the mold for them, even if they have the Power Five offers. I think that they've been able to show kids, hey, do you want to win? Do you want to go to the NFL? Like like you said, if they can pick that stuff, do you want to go to you know live in a good city? Sure, all those things have helped them out, and I think now that you know that that they're able to compete with those schools that. It's common where where you see oh where does this kid that has got commits oh where where where, where would he get offers you know they're they're only one for the twenty twenty one class a kid named Jai Jones from Texas he had offers from LSU he had the offers from Texas A and M so they're able to pull some of these guys out and now that as you said that should now be their recruiting you know that should be their identity that they can beat those schools it's not just finding the guy that played at eight man ball in Riggins Idaho they've got they've got more than that and I think that. Uh, as, as the wins total up, it really helps them and get those sorts of guys. So looking at the schedule this year, Florida State is coming in. And PK and I have been doing radio for a while. We've been told a few times by different people, don't do list radio. And then you turn on some successful show and they're doing list radio. And you <laughs> turn on ESPN in the morning and they're doing list TV. And I was thinking if you did a column there, a list of the best, the best, biggest name opponents, the most exciting opponents to get people fired up, where would Florida State fit on the list? Who are the other big dogs who've been in? I remember Oregon. Um, and then it looks like they have some other good teams coming in the future as well that they're able to get on the blue turf. Yeah, the, a lot of those games, a big, big credit goes to Mark Coyle, who's now the AD at Minnesota. Um, you know, Mark did a great, great job scheduling back when he was here. Um, Florida State, of course, being the big one. Florida State, that game, like when it got announced, man, like seven, it was seven years ago, it was 2013 when that game got announced. The people couldn't, they couldn't believe it up here. You, you don't get Florida State coming into Boise. They think they can compete with Florida State, but those teams never want to come here. So there has been a challenge in terms of getting that quality of opponent up here. So I think that would have to be number one in terms of the excitement level and. The only reason I even hesitate is because Chris Peterson came up here uh, in his second season at Washington, and that, of course, was a madhouse. But that Washington team, they were still not quite there. And I think the the, the level of talent at Florida State and, and the name, people get excited for that. So uh, Florida State won that Washington game number two, but of course we can't forget that you know Oregon came up here in two you know in two thousand nine, the Legarrette Blunt game. Byron Howe post game thing, and 
that was a huge deal too. Oregon, of course, you know, ended up having a great year that year too. And um, so those three, I think, would, would have been the biggest. You know, the, the 2015 Washington, 2009 Oregon. But I, I would I would prefer to stay number one. Well, Oregon or Oklahoma State, uh, Michigan State. Mm-hmm. UCF coming in, so there are there are some big name teams headed up there in these coming years. Well, Dave, it's good to talk to you and uh, say hi to your brothers, David and Patrick. Yeah, I will absolutely, guys. You guys take care. All right, Dave Southern there covers the Boise State football program for the Athletic. Wait a second, you're telling me he has brothers named David and Patrick? Yes. Do you know he's that actually the Dave? But that's and, and this they are and this is you too, David. Do you know that if David loses his ID, he just becomes Dav? Everybody's got a lot of free time. Somebody clicked on 1,000 puns on the web. See, D-A-V-I-D. Yeah, we got it. We so got David it. loses his ID. Don't explain it. Then he becomes Dav. You understand? Yeah, yeah, I got it. I got it. I got it. <laughs> Tyson Alger, Oregon Ducks writer for the Athletic, is going to be here at 9.30. Stay with us, DJ and PK. Take the zone with you wherever you go. Let's go. Download the all-new Zone Sports Network app on your phone and get live streaming of the zone as well as podcast editions of every show. From Salt Lake to Shanghai, Provo to Portugal, or Ogden to Oslo, wherever you go, we'll tag along. Let's go. Download the new Zone app by searching Zone Sports Network wherever you shop for apps. It's the Zone Sports Network app. From 97.5, 1280, The Zone, and The Zone Sports Network. DJ and PK. Brought to you in part by The Warehouse. A reminder, join Tom from The Warehouse on the big show Friday. He'll be calling in all show long with great de- great deals. He'll be at the Orem location of the warehouse. There's one on 300 West in Salt Lake as well. Don't miss the calls. They're always fantastic. Boom! As Tom likes to say. Boom! PK, we just talked with uh, Boise State's, uh, uh, the writer for The Athletic who covers Boise State, Dave Southern, and uh, we were talking a little bit about scheduling, you know, and we've talked about the Utes and who can they bring in. Man, when Boise State drawn, what, low 20s most of the time into a stadium that would fit 30,000 if it was packed, when they are able to pull off Florida State, Oklahoma State, Michigan State, and UCF in consecutive years, makes you think teams can schedule big-time games if they want to. Yeah, I think a lot of it is television, too. It's television driven. Those are all attractive games. And Boise State, at least for us, at least for me anyway, it's a team that I try to watch when they're on. You know, there's a lot of games on, but I'm certainly checking them out, see what they got going on, because they got an outstanding program, plus they play our teams. They're playing BYU and Utah State every single season, so I can gain something from show purposes. But even if that weren't the case, uh, if you know years from now when I'm not doing this job, I would still be checking in on Boise as long as they're good. You know, if they're not good, then I'm not as interested. So I can see why teams would want to go in there because if you beat them over there, that's a quality win. There's no doubt about it. You know, and so that's something that yeah, they're trying to upgrade the level of the program there and that's exciting for them to get a Florida State you know it's not the Florida State that we knew and obviously they went down there last year and beat them and Florida State didn't have a good season uh, but still it's a brand name and getting brand names is going to help your program so I don't know how it relates to Utah I mean I, I think to m- in my mind BYU has proven that they can get just about anybody they want to come in uh, you know, they may not be able to get a, a straight home for home and home, but, you know, a two-for-one or uh, a neutral series game or what have you. But I think the Utes, uh, you know, they can do what they need to do. It's a question of, you know, do they want to do it? Because Utah's program is on the level. It's not the ultimate level, but it's right in the next category. As far as I'm concerned, maybe people don't recognize that nationally, but I think we certainly do, that, you know, you, you put the Ohio States and uh, Alabama's, Oklahoma's, all those programs, they're, they're in a different tier, LSU. But the next tier, you know, I think Utah's right there. So 2013 is when they signed that deal, and that's when Florida State was 14-0 and and national champs. Uh, now, of course, these last three years have been, uh, what's the word we're looking for? 
brutal. Sucky. Yeah, okay, sucky. 18 and 20 over the last three years. That's a long way from going uh, 14 and 0 and, and going, uh, I think they were 39 and 3 over yeah. three years. Right. Uh, just awesome. And that's when the deal was signed. Now they're coming here and they're 500 ish. All right, DJ and PK, it's 97.5 and 1280 The Zone. Time for a partner profile. It's time to showcase those that are helping all of us through these difficult times. This is a partner profile on the Zone Sports Network. Time to welcome in Brian Dunn, Western Region President of Steward Healthcare. Brian, good morning. Good morning. It's a pleasure to be on your show today. Well, thanks for coming on. And we always like to ask people as uh, we talk to people who run different businesses, you know, how is uh, how has your business changed? Because everything that's happened over the last couple months and, well, Stewart Healthcare, I guess everything changed. It has changed significantly. Um, however, to be frank, we have prepared for this. I don't think anybody can prepare for a pandemic, but we go through constant preparation and uh, trials for emergency situations, what it has happened has reduced our ability to provide surgical procedures and provide surgeries to our patients. And and it obviously has reduced visits to our physicians, offices, and different aspects. So with that in mind, it it, it has uh, significantly reduced our our business, but we are here 24-7 to care for everyone and anyone. So you talk about how you could be prepared, but you can only be so prepared. So basically for this pandemic, how much have you been prepared in terms of being able to provide the services that you need to provide? Good question. We constantly have drills for emergent situations such as earthquakes, such as chemical disasters, whatever the case may be. But obviously, none of us could have prepared for COVID-19, a pandemic. But what we did do is we prepared by stockpiling our PPE, personal protection and equipment. We are part of a national company that also buys on a national basis. And we have taught, educated, we have spoken with, have constant daily um, conversations with our, our providers employees, physicians, everyone in regards to what is it we need to do on a daily basis? Because we're all trying to figure this out on a daily basis and we learn more and more. But I think that as we go across the country and look at our nine different states, particularly two of our states have been hotbeds and we've learned from them in Massachusetts and Louisiana. We learned from them what to do and what not to do. And that has helped us here in the state of Utah. But again, we have stockpiled equipment. We have um, made sure that uh, we we prepared every way to treat according to the uh, CDC. We follow the state guidelines. In fact, I sit on the commission for the state of Utah, the the Public Health and Economic Emergency Commission, the governor appointed to it to determine exactly how can we, as healthcare providers, one protect all the people within the state of Utah and get business and economic, uh, get the economy back to a normal basis. So what can you tell people who are listening who have to have, and I don't really like the term elective procedure because it sounds like everyone's, you know, getting collagen shot into their lip or something. Uh, but there are things that you've got to do that you can control the timing on a little bit. And I was reading something that, you know, hospitals in, in some areas, I don't know if it's true of you or not, you know, have, have cut way back on colonoscopies. Well, those aren't completely elective. You know, they're, they're, people need to have them, especially based on their family's medical history. But they're worried about going to hospital and being exposed to COVID-19, so they're kind of putting it off. So for any of, you know, a dozen elective procedures that aren't truly elective, they're just something where you can control the timing, but you need to have them done. What can you tell those people about getting those procedures taken care of? Sure. And I don't, I don't like the word elective. Elective just means that they're scheduled. Mm-hmm. And you're right. Colonoscopies, if it's a cancerous polyp or if you have a history of cancer, that's not an elective procedure. We need to ensure that we're doing things in appropriate fashion not to have medical deterioration continue to occur. And so, therefore, we are putting forward those different guidelines. 
And uh, what do I tell the public? I tell the public that we are open for service. We are following strict guidelines that we have proposed um, from one, the the CDC, and then two, the uh, state's advisory board, which one of our, our, our chief medical officers sits on the state's advisory board to the governor to determine exactly how and when we can provide certain cases. But we are open. Our facilities are open for ambulatory, which means not overnight surgical procedures. But if you have a situation that is going to require immediate attention, we should do those now. And that is a physician-patient discussion and decision to make. And that's where we are at at this point. As you know, the governor has put us into an orange zone. There's four zones. And that allows us the liberty to do ambulatory. So, again, the message to the public is that we are open for surgical procedures. We're taking every precaution, every single precaution necessary to, one, ensure that the patient is protected, and then, two, that our employees and physicians are protected, and that we're not going to continue. Uh, we're, not, we're not going to allow the, the spread of this virus, and we're taking every single precaution necessary in order to avoid that. I'm intrigued about the preparation and how that works, whatever the company may be, and we're talking to you in this specific situation. So since you've been doing this, you've been preparing all the time, and now you've been living a certain way for several weeks now, how much better have you gotten in your operation during the time of that you've been operating in this way? Great, great point. Um, we have daily conference calls on a national level and a local level whereby we'll take best practices and we'll take those practices not only what happens across the United States, not only within our system, but throughout other systems. And we have learned from those different aspects and applied them within our hospitals in order to become daily prepared and prepared better day by day by day as we go forward. So again, I don't think anybody can tell when is COVID-19 going to cease? When's a vaccine? You know, I've heard the vaccines proposed in September, potentially at the earliest. But until we have a vaccine, I don't know if anybody's really going to have a level of comfort. But I do know that uh, uh, based upon our daily communication, daily education, that we have become better. We know more about this pandemic. We know how to treat it. We know what works. We know how to protect the patients and the employees and what to do based upon daily conversations, communication, and learning. Brian, we appreciate a few minutes. Good luck going forward. Thanks for joining us. Thank you. Let me just say one thing. Sure. Happy Nurses Day. This is National Nurses Day, and I want to ensure that our nurses who are on the front lines know how much we appreciate them, respect them, and we, are, we owe a lot to them. We appreciate that, Brian. Thanks for joining us. Thank you. Take Bri- care. Brian Dunn, Western Region President of Steward Healthcare, joining us on National Nurses Day. I had no idea it was National Nurses Day, PK. Did you know? I did not know. Yeah. Yak, aren't you supposed to alert us to that kind of stuff? I will do better <laughs> next time. Everything flows downhill. Yak, it's your fault. All right, DJ and PK, it's 97.5 and 1280 The Zone. Tyson Alger, Oregon Ducks writer for The Athletic, is going to join us coming up in about 20 minutes.